Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I am Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Today, we are lucky to have on the show E. Jane. Uh, e. Jane is the Managing Director of the Alliance of Angels in Seattle. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Nice, nice to be on the show and glad to, um, glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. So, E. Jane, you've been... Uh, the Alliance of Angels is obviously one of the biggest, most active angel groups in Seattle. And so um, in, in addition to being a big group, which is always helpful, uh, it's also got a sidecar fund. Uh, you're about 140 members right now. So your life must be very busy. You're right. Yes, we, we do have a lot going on. And every year we invest about $10 million into 20 startups. And uh, most companies that are fundraising from us are looking for somewhere between half a million and 1.5 million in total. And we are usually some piece of that. We invest as individuals. So um, most individual angels invest in 25,000, 50,000, 100,000 kind of check sizes. So collectively, we invest in a company, it's maybe four to six of us, and it comes up to a few hundred thousand, half a million on average when we participate in the round. Yeah, that's that's really good data. A lot of companies uh, will come to Mike or I, uh, and they're just wondering about the fundraising process. Um, Mike and I are lucky enough to work with a lot of people who, um, you know, who are who are really super great technically at something, maybe you know, coding or something. Um, but they have, they haven't been through this process before, and so they have a lot of basic questions about it. Um, so it's helpful to hear the data points, like. You know, most companies that come are looking for half a million to a million and a half. You know, you put $10 million into about 20 startups a year. How many startups do you look at a month? We look at about 30 startups a month, give or take. And we are focused on the Pacific Northwest. So pretty much all the companies we look at are in the region. And uh, a significant majority are in Seattle. So we also look at companies, um, well, in well, the secondary satellites tend to be Portland, Oregon, and Vancouver, BC. Okay. Okay. Well, of course, we also look at Spokane, Montana, Idaho, and companies out there. There's just fewer numerically uh, startups out in those regions. Sure. So, so, so you have a meeting, like a member meeting once a month. Is that, is that right? Once a month where, at which like three companies present? Is that how it works monthly? Yes. Yeah, so in terms of how our, how our process works, we essentially repeat. Uh, we have an ongoing recurring monthly process. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we start with 30 companies at the, at the beginning of the month. And we invite six of those 30 companies to come meet with a subset okay. of the membership. We have 140 members, but about 10 or 15 of the most experienced of those folks form our screening committee. So every month we invite six of the 30 companies we meet to come meet our screening committee. And they then select the three companies that present at our member meeting, the one that you just mentioned, Joe, where we all of us, 140 of us show up and we uh, hear presentations from these three companies. And uh, after that presentation, we target to give our, the entrepreneurs who present an uh, answer on whether or not we are going to invest within six weeks of the presentation. Okay. The idea is we want to be efficient. We want to provide a way in which entrepreneurs can meet a lot of angels at once and also get to a decision point in a relatively short period of time. Right. So um, 
so to start, say I have a company and I want to potentially pitch before the Alliance of Angels, but I don't, I don't know for sure if I do or not. I'm, I'm curious about it. How does the process start? Do I fill out a form and send it in to you? Do I pay a fee? What's the fee amount? Th- those sort of questions. Right. Thanks, Joe. So let, let me answer the question about the fee first. So the Alliance of Angels is a not-for-profit, and we do not charge entrepreneurs any fees okay. to engage with us. Okay. Uh, that is actually something I would caution all entrepreneurs to ask anyone who approaches them about um, any potential fees that may be charged by entities that uh, represent uh, early-stage investors. By and large, uh, there, there shouldn't be a need in most cases for entrepreneurs to pay thousands of dollars to engage with any entity. So if you do so, you're probably doing something that's a little unusual and something to think very carefully about. But then again, to, to, find, to go back to the question, no, we, we do not charge fees. In terms of how to engage with us, so there are multiple, there are multiple touch points. Uh, if you haven't met any of us before, right, uh, it would be to your benefit to come perhaps visit us at our office hours okay. at a start. So we run monthly office hours at WeWork, at Galvanize, at Startup Hall, and Surf Incubator. Oh, that's great. All four yeah. places. Okay, great. Yes. Like every, like every week you're in a different spot? Yes, we essentially rotate okay. between these places. So you can send us an email. We, the the sign-up is on our website, allianceofangels.com. Okay. So that's really a good way to come and have kind of a, a first touch. Right. Um, another would be we also run regular events in the community, such as uh, we have our members come out and do a panel. Our, the, I guess the angel investors in our group will come out and do a panel uh, whereby you can ask them any questions you want yeah. about fundraising and so forth. We do that roughly once a quarter. Okay. Our next one's actually in Startup Hall, okay. if you're interested. But again, we rotate through the various startup workspaces. So that's a great way to get to know the members that make up the Alliance of Angels. Right. And we also run workshops like pitch clinics, valuation, how to value your company. And uh, these are also education activities that we run in the community. It's a way for you to get to know us. And once you get to know a few of us and actually have uh, some folks that uh, you're connected into, that's probably the best time to come in and have a, a, a fundraising conversation. There is no like formal application or submission or anything like that. It's really more of an email to myself or to one of the members in the group saying, that, hey, you know, I'm fundraising. We met some time ago and uh, we love to get into the Alliance of Angels process and move forward. That tends to be the most effective. Okay, so, great. Oh, so go ahead, Mike. When's, when's the best time? So let's say a company is, is young, they're getting started, they're thinking about raising money. Like when is when is the time for them to be, you know, seriously thinking about uh, participating in the process. Like wh- wh- what's, how far along do companies have to be before they, they are sort of fundable in, in, in your eyes? Well, I think the question there is, uh, well, what stage of companies do we fund? And the, the, the fact of the matter is that we, we, we pretty much fund a, a fair, pretty much across the spectrum from very, very early idea stage up to later stage companies as well. So let me talk about the top end of the spectrum. So if your, if your company is raising like a $50 million round or something of that nature, then that's unlikely to be a fit for any angel investors, our groups included. That's more of a private equity, growth equity kind of thing. And that will not be in our wheelhouse. Uh, on the other hand, uh, if you just have uh, an idea and you're kind of bouncing that around, that's certainly a time in which you could have uh, open a conversation with us. That's uh, something that we're very open to. And we have funded quite a lot of idea stage companies over the years. 
Oh, that's what, interesting. Yeah, because I would think that that's sort of the question for me would be, you know, somebody who says, hey, I'm interested in raising money. A lot of times my advice for them would be, okay, well, why don't you see how far you can get it on your own? You know, it, it, you're going to have an easier time raising money if you have something that's working. But um, but that's inter- it's great that you guys are, are willing to fund ideas at, at, in, if the ideas are right. Uh, what, what you say is true, that uh, if, uh, if entrepreneur is able to get traction and make progress on their own, what that generally means is that they will be able to get better terms when they sell, when they fundraise in terms of the stake of the company they give out and the valuation they attain. So yes, uh, if an entrepreneur has the ability to bootstrap and get it further along, uh, we will encourage them to certainly do that. And, uh, but before, uh, before they reach that point, they're all, of course, welcome to open a conversation with us. In many cases, we've been talking to some companies for one or two years prior to them actually formally coming to us uh, for fundraising. Yeah, that's good advice. I mean, in general, that's that's sort of it's never really too early to start reaching out and meeting people, even if you're not ready to raise money. Like you should start laying the groundwork um, before you need the money, before and before you get to that point. So I guess if you're if you're starting a company and you're early and you feel like it might be too early to raise money, I guess the sense is maybe it's it's never too early to start going to some office hours and talk to people because um, it'll help it'll help lay the groundwork for what you need later. Yeah, I think I think one of the biggest issues I well I, a lot of big issues in this in this arena because there's just a lot of variability in sort of uh, investor interest in in things and so um, but obviously there's a lot of que- people have a lot of questions around valuation people come to me all the time and say well I mean you have let, let's say you're an idea stage company or you're pre revenue um, like well how, and when you want to raise a million bucks the the the, the question well. At what valuation is always a very, very difficult one. I'd love to, Ichan. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just say, let's just say, Mike and I had a software as a service startup company. Uh, we had like a, uh, we had we had some some uh, some early customer adoption, but they were non-paying customers. Uh, let's say it's a sales automation tool or something. We want to raise a million bucks. With that scant information I've given you, kind of, how would you think about the valuation question? So valuation certainly is something that um, many entrepreneurs have have less experience with, and they often feel much more art than a science. So what, what I for for a very simple simple example. So I'm just speaking speaking to an entrepreneur who's uh, entrepreneurs who have not raised any money before, so they own the entire company. This right. is not about follow ons, right. right? Follow ons are different things, right? right? So uh, the the guidance that I, I share with um, how to come out with a valuation is to well first of all decide how much money you need to raise, right? And then uh, be cognizant that the majority of entrepreneurs in that first round would sell between 15 and 35% of their company. Or to make it simple, around 20-ish percent of their company. So um, to Joe's example earlier on, let's say he's decided you know, that he needs to raise $1 million because let's say that that's 18 months of uh, run rate and it allows him to get to uh, operating metrics that will materially increase the valuation of his company. So let's say he has got this model that shows a $1 million is the right number. And we say, you know, we, he's going to sell 20% of the company. So that will imply that uh, if we back into the numbers, about approximately a $4 million pre-money valuation because when you invest a million dollars, the post-money valuation, 
would be five, and the investors will own about 20% of the company. So I find that that's usually the, the, the tidiest, easiest way for most entrepreneurs to think about how to put a number on their valuation. And also just in terms, just stepping back and kind of looking at the, at least within Seattle, right? Uh, the observation is that most of the companies that are raising the kinds of rounds that the Alliance of Angels uh, funds, like a half a mil to 1.5, that's the majority, right? Most of them tend to come in at valuations or the, well, if they actually raise money, the valuations usually tend to be somewhere in the two to five million pre-money range. Right? Oh, this is pre-money, okay, right. not post-money, it's pre-money. And that, that's kind of uh, what tends to happen in the Seattle region. Right. And right now, this is a particularly good time to be an entrepreneur because uh, uh, there, there is a, a lot of interest from investors and also generally the market dynamics are good. So these days, entrepreneurs are much more likely to be able to get to the high end of that range versus the low end of that. Sure, sure. So this is great. This is great information. So another thing I frequently ask by companies is, um, hey, how do I, you know, what type of, what type of, equity or what type of security or interest in my company do I sell to raise the money? And I know for a long time, uh, E. Jane, the, the Seattle angel community had, you know, you know, go rewind like 15 years or something. They, there was sort of an allergic reaction to convertible notes. I think, I think for the most part, people have gotten over that, although there are still some angels in Seattle who – who don't like convertible notes? Who won't? Who won't? Who just don't like them? And then we have this new thing that's really popular in, in the Bay Area right now called a safe. And the safe is great for companies because there's no interest, there's no maturity date, it's not dead on your balance sheet. It's a, hey, Joe, it's a what, yeah. T- tell, tell me more about the safe. I, I haven't heard about this. Okay. So what's what, it's a new yeah. Uh, so, so got, yeah, it's a creation of uh, Y. Model. Yeah, it's a creation by it's a creation of Y Combinator, the startup school in Silicon Valley. And basically, the idea is, hey, convertible notes kind of suck for companies because, one, they have a maturity date. Uh, so usually that's a 18 months. Sometimes it's 12 months. Sometimes it's 24 months. But it's not like five years. It's usually 12, 18, or 24 months maturity date. Uh, and they bear interest, you know, 4 or 5% or something like that. And the gist of the, the sort of the thinking of the problem with a convertible note is, well, companies like you and I, Mike, if we started the company, we raised money on a convertible note, we would think about our investors as equity investors. Like, hey, they invested in us. They're, they're our equity investors. But the note holders, they have they have the opportunity to potentially say at the maturity date, ah, well, we'd like our money back, right? <laughs> Which is not what we would be thinking as the company, right? So a convertible, so the SAFE stands for Simple Agreement for Future Equity. And basically, it's a convertible equity instrument. So it's 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 just like a convertible note, except it is expressly not a note. It's expressly so not debt. It gives you the benefit of like, so one of the things that seems really great about convertible notes to me in the times that I've seen them used is if you're talking with a company and you don't know what the company's worth or, or what they're going to raise in some future round, you get a convertible note and you can kind of punt on the whole uh, valuation issue because you'll just you'll just piggyback on whatever the value is when uh, when they actually do their round of financing. But I guess so. You're saying that lots of people want that model where they can they can punt on the valuation, but but they're carrying a lot of extra baggage with that because now they've got a debt instrument that maybe maybe they chose it for reasons unrelated to the fact that it's debt. Yeah. In any event, I think the safe, I mean, I was initially probably somewhat like a lot of people in Seattle, like, ah, you know, it's a new instrument. It's, it's, I was a little, uh, I was a little suspicious about it. I'm like, ah, you know, um, but, but I, I've, I've actually now seen quite a few of my companies, um, and granted a lot, a lot of these are Bay Area focused 
clients of mine. But I mean, I've seen a lot of people use it. And um, but I think in Seattle, I think in Seattle, we're going through the we don't the angels are going through the oh, we don't like this thing. It's too new. We're, we're not certain about it. We don't like it. Is that is my impression correct about that? That the safe is still kind of an uncertain instrument to try to use in Seattle. Uh, so Joe, to your question about the the safe. Uh, I would agree with you that uh, it, it is not an instrument that's widely used in Seattle. I'm not aware of very many companies who have successfully raised, who are not from Y Combinator, which is where the, um, where the instrument originated, and have uh, successfully closed rounds from Seattle area investors. I think... Um, the re, uh, I think what's uh, the, the safe is a uh, a symptom of the the reality right now that uh, the pendulum is very much in the entrepreneur's favor at this point of time at the point of this podcast, right? So um, during at, at so when it's at this point, uh, very entrepreneur friendly documents like the safe are more likely to proliferate because they are a way for investors to try and sell themselves and convince uh, entrepreneurs to take their checks versus everyone else's. I'm I'm sorry. I, I have noticed that saves tend to be most common in the Bay Area. So Joe mentioned some of his clients in the Bay Area have raised on saves, also in New York. And those are generally the regions at this point of time where there is a surplus of capital and a relative deficit of great startups to back. Whereas in places like Seattle right now, where the equilibrium is more, uh, I, I guess, more, more is midpoint, Right. Uh, hence, there hasn't been as much a proliferation of the instruments. Another area uh, that I've seen the safes getting some foothold has actually been in Canada, in some of the Vancouver companies that we have seen. And this is really mainly because of Canada's uh, tax credit regime, where if you're an angel investor in Canada, you can get a tax credit for investing in startups, but only if you invest in equity or common shares, some flavor of common shares, which is why many Canadian deals are common, uh, essentially common shares. They sell common shares. And uh, saves are similar enough to common shares, but provide some additional rights. They are better, I yes. guess, for investors yeah. than common shares. And hence, there has been you know, a, a, some movement towards safe transactions in Canada versus doing like straight common. Well, that's, that's really fascinating. Yeah, I uh, so yeah, I I was just talking to somebody this morning about a fundraise, uh, and I, I just the, the advice I gave this founder was, well, if you're going to target predominantly you know Seattle area angel investors, uh, uh, a convertible note is going to be the right place to start as opposed to a safe, simply because if you start with a safe. You might just run into a bunch of angels who say, well, I really love your company, but I can't, I'm not, not going to invest in that thing. And then you'll have to flip it to a, a note or some other you know, instrument. So it's, anyway, it's good to get data from you, E-Jane. And, and Mike, yeah, I think you might find this interesting. So uh, E-Jane is, 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 uh, went, through, went through law school and never took the bar, but has that background. And uh, 
and, and, and grew up in Singapore where, where they didn't have coffee. They had powdered coffee. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's, it's great to have you in our, in our town. And I love, what, I love what the Alliance of Angels is doing. And I, I – uh, yeah, I think I, I would. I mean, I would love to help you promote your events, just so to get word about them out into the community more. I send a lot of people to you just by email, but I. Um, it sounds like I've, I've. I mean, I ought to just be encouraging people to go to the office hours. You know, sign up for the office hours at allianceofangels.com. Uh, look out for the investor panels, uh, or you know, email, like I've done in the past, just have people email you directly is fine too. But it, it sounds like the office hours are a great opportunity for people to start figuring things out. Yeah, well, tell us about like what what types of things you guys typically talk about at the office hours. I, I could see some people saying, "Well, maybe I don't go to the office hours. I don't have a specific question." Or, or is it more just a, a chance to meet some some folks? Like, if somebody shows up to office hours and they just say, "Hey, I'm I'm interested in the fundraising process. Uh, I'm I'm early stage working on something. I just thought it'd be nice to to meet you guys." Is that is that a good use of the office hour time? Should people feel comfortable doing that? Ah, uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, the the office hours are open to all entrepreneurs. And uh, you, uh, an entrepreneur can ask any questions that they want during that time. It's a 30-minute time slot. And it doesn't have to be necessarily Alliance of Angels specific. We have an entrepreneur show up and ask about, well, you know, we're thinking about doing angel fundraising in Seattle. Could you give us some general ideas on how to go about that? Right? There are some uh, entrepreneurs who show up and say, well, you know, I've got a very early version of the product. You know, I'm not ready to fundraise. I just want some feedback on my product. You know, yeah. And that, that, that's perfectly okay too. So the time's really up to the uh, entrepreneur to decide on how they want to use it. It's probably a good idea to have an idea of what you want to use it for before, mm-hmm. before you come. But uh, th- to be clear, th- this office hours is not a pitch session or you know, a, a request for funds or anything like that. It's just an easy, friendly conversation from an angel investor with an angel investor from my group to uh, answer any questions that you may have. So you, the Alliance of Angels, I'm sure, has had some great, um, some great uh, successes over the years in terms of great, great companies you've invested in, great exits you had. Um, that's got to be really uh, rejuvenating to the um, to the angels themselves in terms of like if you get a refresh of your capital, you know, you could plug more money in. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we? What are you seeing right now in terms of exits? Are you seeing are, are exits? becoming more common or are they more common this year than they were three or four years ago? Kind of how do you see the cycle right now in terms of exits? Well, right now we are having, um, right now I would say that the pace of exits has been about the same as what it was last year. Uh, We had our second best exit as a group when Elementor Technologies of, uh, of Portland uh, was sold for somewhere in the, a few hundred million dollars yeah, to, yeah, Amazon, Amazon, right? to yeah, Amazon. So that, that, that was uh, probably our, our second best return. And the folks who invested in that company were very welcome. That was certainly very welcome news. Uh, we have had also over the years, um, some of our biggest successes have been Clarisonic, which actually is a, a, a consumer uh, technology company. It makes a sonic, tooth, uh, I'm sorry, a, um, a sonic technology uh, device that's used for applying makeup. I'm kind of struggling here as a, as a guy. It's not, not a product that I, I, yeah. I typically use, but I'm sure lots of ladies, my wife included, uh, find it uh, extremely useful. <laughs> 
Yeah, that, was, a, David, that was David Giuliani's company, right? Yes, it was David Giuliani's company. That was his second, his second yes. company, right? Yes. So that was one of our one of our best exits ever. We've also had uh, companies like Institu, which was a um, a drone company in the early days. Right, that and, was a really early drone company bought by Boeing. That's right. Way before drones were really even talked. I mean. They weren't really. I mean, now talk they talked about it all the time, but mm-hmm. back then it was sort of a very unique mm-hmm. opportunity. I remember that company coming around to pitch in Seattle, and I remember the, I, my recollection was they had kind of a hard time fundraising. But I, I don't. Maybe that my, maybe my recollection is wrong. But it turned out to be a great a great investment for people who made it. I think. Yes, it was. It was definitely a, a great exit institute was for for the, the those of us who were invested in it. Yeah, you and, know, one thing, Ejin, that I always have, I always try to tell uh, people that I work with is. Um, I mean, I guess I'm part cheerleader or something or cheer squad member, but I mean, it's easy to get down. If you're a founder, it's easy to get down during the process. It's easy to feel like it, you're, you're like, you're just like, it's hard to raise the money. Right. And it's hard to, it's, it's easy to start feeling like, wow, this is a very, very difficult process. Um, what do you, I mean, so I'm constantly telling people, Hey, look, you, you know, just, I mean, it's just like sales, right? You're going to, you're going to hear a lot of no's, but that's okay. <laughs> you just got to keep going. What do you, what do you recommend? Like, how do you, like, do you, do you have like some advice you give people who are going through the process and who, who, who are, I mean, just kind of daunted by it? Like, what do you tell people in that spot? Well, I, I mean, ta- just, just this, I'm going to give a very tactical answer right, okay. to, to that, right? Um, I, I think first of all, it is helpful at the very start to kind of figure out how much money you need to raise. Right. And this is usually through developing a, a financial model, a monthly financial model for the next 18 months of so. You know, that this would be pretty detailed. It would, would be things like, you know, people you need to hire or you know, any online marketing spend or offline marketing spend, sales and so forth. So having that model kind of penciled out and making sure that that gives you enough uh, runway to materially improve your operating metrics so that you can raise your next round at a significantly higher valuation. So figuring out how much you need it is an important starting point just based on modeling it out. And let's say you model and you have a particular number, let's say it's 750 or something, you may want to raise a little bit of a cushion on top of that in case you may need to pivot somewhere along the line. So, so let's say so you, you need to get to a number first, right? Then also understanding that this is fundraising is a bit like an enterprise sales process. So once you've decided what it is you, you want, then you've got to prepare essentially a marketing collateral, I guess, for your fundraise, just as you will prepare marketing collateral for your company. And generally, you, you will at the very least, least need your financial model, which you already have, 18 months out, and maybe some annual projections going further from that. Uh, you also likely need at the minimum a um, an investor deck of some kind, right? This is sort of like a, a PowerPoint or keynote presentation that tells a good story about your business, talks about you know the problem you're solving, you know a bit about the market competition, who you are as a team, and so forth. These are usually like 15, 20 slides, give or take. So you should have that ready, right? And uh, you will also uh, and maybe another variant of that, which is sort of a one page, kind of a, more of a Know, a, a report style thing, right? Because these are common pieces of uh, documentation that investors are likely to ask for. And you, you don't want to be in a situation where you've got interested investors and, oh, you know, my, my, my collateral isn't ready. Can you wait two weeks? That, that, that generally does not reflect well on the entrepreneur. <laughs> 
Another important thing to, to have before you start is to know who owns your company. Uh, in the technical term is a cap table. If you're unfamiliar with what that is, you may want to ask maybe your attorney or maybe your accountant. Uh, it is important to know who owns your company. Uh, this is especially the case if it's, uh, you may have debts outstanding or you, you, maybe you had a co-founder who left three years ago or something of that nature. Uh, often, at least in diligence, when we conduct as a group, uh, we often run into situations when the entrepreneur doesn't know who owns the company. And that, that, that can be a, a real issue. And this is not because they are trying to be, you know, cagey. It's they, they just, it just hasn't been part of their, of what, of their priorities. They are about building great products, you know, getting customers and so forth. So once you have your collateral in place, then it's helpful to next kind of figure out which are the, which are the right people to reach out to. Right. And the first person you generally want to secure is a lead investor. Right. A lead investor is someone who's extremely excited about your company and usually is the person who helps you, who will invest a substantial portion of your round. So let's say you're raising a million and they put in 200 or something like that. Right. And then they also actively help you recruit the other investors or help you quote unquote close the other investors in the round. Securing a lead investor materially increases the chance that you would be able to get your round together and it also significantly reduces the time that you may have to spend herding cats because many CEOs uh, it, it realize that if you go into fundraising, that is going to be 70% of your time. Right. And it can easily take, you know, three to six months to put a round together. I'm talking about like a 500 to 1.5 kind of round. So this is very time consuming. So how, how do you figure out who leads deals? Um, that's not usually published. You can ask around if you have an attorney who's a lot of, has a lot of experience in startups. You can ask them who leads deals in Seattle or if you're somewhere else, you know, in your particular locale. Or you can take a look at the press, like, um, for example, Geekwire, which is, uh, which publishes, uh, a lot of articles about, um, startups in the Pacific Northwest. Geekwire often, if, if a company closes around, they often mention who led it, right? So you usually have a short, so you can find a short list of potential deal leads. Then once you have that list, it's about figuring out uh, which ones of these are actually going to invest in your company because everyone's kind of got their own uh, preferences and so forth. And so you, again, this is something where you to network in the community, maybe go talk to other entrepreneurs, talk to your attorney, come to our office hours because uh, let's say you have a consumer company, you're targeting someone who only invests in enterprise software then it's not likely to be a productive conversation. So once you have shortlisted the deal leads, then it's about getting a warm intro. Uh, don't please, as LinkedIn is always a good place to start. Uh, uh, and you can also ask other entrepreneurs, again, other people in the community. So some kind of doing some kind of networking in the community and getting a warm intro into lead, these lead investors and focusing your time initially on closing one of these lead investors would, would be helpful. And then only after that, then you go after the other investors, people who are known not to, to usually follow other folks. So your lead investor will help recruit some of them and you could bring the rest of in, them in yourself. And useful tools for identifying who some of the other people could be. There's AngelList, for example, and you can go to AngelList slash Seattle or slash whatever locale you happen to be in. And it'll give you a list of all the, uh, all the people, uh, that's maybe a good fit. And then you can filter again by your 
domain, like what kind of company are you, a Bitcoin company or, or something of that ilk. So then you can focus. And so the idea is to then try and coordinate a series of meetings and treat the whole thing like an enterprise sales process. Have some kind of spreadsheet or maybe even a lightweight CRM system where you record, you know, you met this person. Uh, first meeting, what did they say? Second meeting, what did they say? What did they want? So, so everything's organized, right? And also kind of realizing that you, you, you will need, as Joe mentioned earlier, a lot of investors are going to say no, right? So to get 10 investors into your company, and committed, you may need to talk to a hundred people. You know, there's a, there's a hit. So you got you got to manage the whole thing, kind of maybe through a spreadsheet or CRM, so you're organized and know what's going on. If you're all over the place, you may find that uh, you, you may uh, it, it's just very easy to drop the ball on kind of uh, you know who you're talking to and where you are in their respective process. Yeah, that's just really this is really great helpful information, EJ. And this is really great. Um, so for those who are listening, um, so just to quickly summarize what EJ said. Sort of, you know what. He gives some really great advice here, which is so-called marketing collateral you're going to need, a one-pager, a pitch deck, uh, and you can find an example pitch deck on the Alliance of Angels website, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, a financial model, a detailed financial model, about 18 months of runway, uh, maybe some uh, you know, maybe some forward-looking projections beyond that, uh, the annualized perhaps, a cap table. And then I threw in here one thing I, I always encourage uh, companies to use is the sort of you know, abbreviated, like short one page term sheet, summary of the terms of the offering, kind of a document, um, maybe something like the series seed term sheet, or I have like a one page convertible note term sheet I give people. Um, but this is, a, this is great. This is really great advice, Jane. And this is, I mean, I just, I, I guess I'm, I'm of the view that it feels to me like, and maybe I'm just, maybe I've just been too long, you know, on the company side or something. Uh, but it just feels to me like the process is just, I mean, it's very labor intensive, very time consuming. It just seems like it's, it ought, it ought not be so difficult, but maybe it's just, maybe that's just always the way it's going to be. Maybe it's, I mean, we can maybe change some regulations like the jobs act, tried to make things easier. Um, but I just, you know, maybe no matter what we do from the regulatory standpoint, it's just always just going to be, it's always going to be the, the way, this way. It's it's going to take time, and and usually I think people say, "Gosh, you know, six to nine months, or maybe maybe even as long as a year." Uh, it, it sometimes takes to raise raise like a million bucks from angels. I and I, I've seen it, you know, just take a while. And I always wish it wouldn't take so long or be so difficult. But maybe it's just the way the way it is. I I don't know if you have any thoughts about. It, it sounds like the best way to accelerate the process is just get really prepared, mm-hmm. have everything done. And then you've given great advice, Go, you know, and everyone out there who's listening to the show, EJ, easily reachable. If you uh, email me, I can email him and you'll connect to you. Or I'm sure you could probably pick up EJ's email from the Alliance of Angels website or something. Yes. And I mean, to follow on your points about um, how, how you mentioned how it takes a long time to, to close around. I mean, uh, I mentioned earlier, too, the easiest way you can uh, or the most time tested way to, to accelerate your process is to find a strong lead investor. Right. And uh, if you have a strong lead investor in place and close, you will find that uh, you, you'll be able to get through the rest of your fundraising relatively quickly, especially the person is hands-on and helping you. It's essentially having a partner with you on fundraising. There are also some tactical things on timing around, uh, or rather calendar, the time of the calendar right. in, in which you... Right. 
you want to start your fundraising process, right? right? Uh, probably one of the better one of the better times is probably in the January time frame. January, right. so you have a lot of open months right. ahead to uh, close your round, right? And uh, the other would be immediately after August, so early September. Okay. Right, will be another time. So you at least have a short, like a, a few months uh, before the holiday seasons. Because generally, as far as angels in general, uh, and many VCs as well, it's hard to get things done in the months of August and also near the end of the year. People may be traveling and so on and so forth. Right. And what you don't want, when you're running a fundraising process, you generally want to create momentum, right? So, you know, people are interested, your commitments are going up. Every time you email all your prospects, you say, hey, you know, now I've got 400 out of 600 committed and the numbers keeps going up. You want to kind of message that things are going well. If you run into a zone like August when everyone, where a lot of people are not around, you may find yourself losing momentum and then it's very hard to wrap that up again when everyone comes back because sometimes the inclination will be going to the next shiny new thing. Right. Right. So starting kind of in the January time frame or if you are kind of a four, if you're racing in four, early September will, will be a good time to think about starting your round if, you, if you're able to plan it in that way. Well, so we're just about we're just about out of time, EJ, but I wanted to uh, thank you for being on the show. This has been really, really great. Um, Mike, any parting thoughts or questions for Jane? No, this has been great. I think uh, you know the takeaway should be people should reach out and get in touch early. Um, you know, even if they're even if they're not ready to raise money, it's time to time to you know. It sounds like an open invitation to get to know some angel investors. So I'd say my advice would be take take them up on it. Yeah, but absolutely. I mean, we yeah. we are, we are out in the community. Come to our events. Come to our office hours, and you can also email me directly. So we're open for business, and we're here to help. So please don't be shy about reaching out. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you all next week.